Hello, and welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank. This episode is actually a very special episode. It is one of our Sloop episodes. Sloop is the show that is preserved only for Patreon. Uh, we review movies and TV shows. It's where we like reviewed uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where we're planning on doing Loki, um, and where we'll take movies either from the past or that are just now released and give them immediate reactions and some deep dives. Uh, we don't have an episode this week of News of the Week due to some uh, scheduling plans with weddings and whatnot. So I decided, you know what, why don't we take one of our first Patreon episodes and go ahead and throw it up there and let everybody enjoy it and see what it's like over on Patreon. This episode and all sloops are available for the very bottom tier all the way to the top. Uh, for just a dollar a month, you get access to all of our sloops and, uh, and you get to join the Patreon community. So hopefully you guys can come hang out with us. Either way, I really hope you enjoy this particular episode. Uh, we're going to be going over Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Hey all, and welcome to Sloop. I am Frank. In Sloop, what we're going to be doing, just kind of a quick breakdown. Uh, we're going to go over the movie, release dates, the studio, the stars, uh, any kind of personal experience I have with the film, if I've seen it before, and if I haven't, we'll talk about that as well. Then we'll stop what we're doing, go watch the movie, so you guys can go ahead and watch the movie with me if you'd like. We'll watch the movie, and then I'll come back for immediate reactions. As soon as I'm done watching the film, I come back to the studio and I start recording. Uh, when we're back, we're going to go over uh, what I first thought about the movie. If it's a movie I've already seen before, we'll go over some of the more detailed aspects, maybe the the um, breakdown of the acts and the sequences in between. and. And all the inciting incidences and stuff like that really kind of break down the structure of the film. If it's a movie I have not seen before, our first one is one of those. It'll be much more about the emotional reactions, the things I've caught, uh, and some of the little uh, hints and stuff like that I gave you throughout the way. Um, it'll be really a lot of fun. We'll go ahead and analyze the special shots and, and any of the music. Basically, we're going to overanalyze the movie, which if you're a podcaster or somebody like me who just really loves film, that should be pretty easy to do. Uh, then we're going to do surprise trivia where I go to the IMDb and I go to the trivia section and we we surprise ourselves with what trivia we have and stuff we didn't know. I, I normally would do that kind of research beforehand, say on a, like a level up. But on the, in this case, I don't want any spoilers, of course. Uh, and it'll be fun to see something that we didn't know before and then look back and reference in like, oh, that's right. That is that person or something like that. So it'll be all uh, uh, spontaneous and stuff like that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So our first movie which I have not seen before, which is just crazy to think, is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. It's a movie I've wanted to see for a long time. Uh, it's just one of those, like, yeah, I'll get to it eventually. As a geek, we have many blind spots. And a couple of mine would be like Terminator 2 and Batman Mask of the Phantasm. There's a few of them out there. This is definitely a big one for me. Uh, I was a huge Batman the Animated Series fan. It's actually what got me into comics. Uh, because of this, I watched the Superman series, and then my very first comic book was the Superman Wedding issue from the 90s. It's currently framed and on my wall right now, amongst other uh, favorite covers and stuff like that. So it's just a great classic. Anyway, so this movie came out in 1993. We had multiple directors, and that's typical for these animated films. Uh, they have different uh, sequence directors. So we have uh, Kevin Altieri, Boyd Kirkland, Frank Piar. Dan Reba, Eric Randomsky, and of course, Bruce Timm. You should be familiar with Bruce Timm. He's the one that actually ran the Batman animated series as a whole. I, I had the chance to watch the documentary about the animated series recently and researching the film. 
because uh, I wanted to do some light researching before I got into the actual film watching, which I went a little bit too deep and spoiled something for me. So I'm not happy about that, but that's OK. That's part of the deal. Uh, you got to be real careful when you try to avoid those spoilers. But yeah, Bruce Tim, he was one of those guys that was just a visionary. And the idea of an animated Batman series has been done in the past. But he wanted to add it, add in the noir, the gothic feel that you see from like the 89 film and what was happening in comics at the time where Batman was embracing the darkness and it wasn't the campy version we saw from like an Adam West era. So he he took the film and he, and he took the animation. He did something so neat, unique. And instead of drawing the muscles, because he used to do like the screen filming where or uh, uh, cells where they had to actually draw every individual motion. He thought, well, that's going to be too hard to draw all these muscles and stuff like that. So he did these very broad musculature. If you look at Batman in the animated series, oh, that's right. He's very simple. That's what you'll end up looking at. Uh, he doesn't have the, the ripped abs and like that we see from the comic books or even in today's animation when things are done much more with the computer. Uh, so he made things very simple and he used the straight line curve line uh, philosophy, which I thought was very fascinating. I never noticed it before until I watched the documentary. Where say you're looking at like Batman's arms, the maybe the top of the arm will be two straight lines and the bottom will be two curves. And then like the legs, straight lines, curves. All of the animation is done away. The cape, the cape as well. Straight line on top, curves on the bottom. And this form of contrast, it gives us this very stylized look and movements are very flowy. And it's just it's something to keep an eye on. Of course, the voice acting in the Batman animated series and also in this film. Uh, it centers around Batman himself, Kevin Conroy, who used to be a stage actor. He would do uh, plays and stuff like that. And his his agent called up. He's like, hey, you want to come play Batman? He's like, I don't know, man. Adam West, real campy. Then he had the 89 film. Like, I don't know. It'll work. Come on in. Give it a try. They had they had so many actors in there. They didn't know. You know, they were just kind of getting burnt out. They heard Kevin give it a shot and they knew right away. This this is our Batman. It was an it was an amazing moment for them. Of course, we have one of the most popular voice actors in the world. Mark Hamill, who plays Joker. For Joker's part, this is also mentioned in the documentary, uh, which we'll link to in the description, by the way. Uh, in the documentary, they talked about how, like, oh, yeah, Mark Hamill's coming in. Like, well, we'll give him a shot. I mean, he's Mark Hamill. That's, you don't say no to Luke Skywalker. You give him a shot, at least. And what locked it in was Joker's laugh. And we'll put it in right here so you guys can get a little sample of that. <laughs> I mean, how amazing is that laugh? That laugh is iconic. That is my childhood. Between, and you know what? Let's give it a little sample of some uh, Kevin Conroy Batman right now. You know, I actually did check this against any musical sounds. Computers still can't come close to pinpointing it. Those two are legendary. That, that, that is my childhood's voice acting right there. Uh, but we have, yeah, Robert uh, Costanzo is doing Detective Bullock, which I don't think a lot of people uh, appreciate how good uh, their version of Bullock is. He's not seen in a, lo a lot of things, but he is a pretty mainstay character for the Gotham PD area. We have Commissioner Gordon played by Bob ha uh, Hastings, just a legendary voice actor from the, the old times. Anyways, it's a great cast. And of course, it really involves Kevin Conroy as Batman. And that's who we're really sticking with on this one. Let's see. Personal experience for this one for myself. I have never watched this before, as I explained before. But I have watched the animated series. This film came out after the first season of the of the animated series. Uh, so from my understanding, the animation is going to be with that early season stuff. Very hand-drawn. As the show goes on and, and the Batman animated series evolved into having Robin and Batgirl in there, 
They started to embrace some of the computer animation. They ended up getting promoted. Um, and the uh, casting director mentioned that that's kind of when they lost a little bit of their magic, when they ended up getting a little too advanced, because then they got to a point where they were like, well, we can pump these out. And we're kind of awesome. Like all, all animators wanted to work for WB Animation because they were just putting out these awesome hits. They were letting you tell some amazing stories. One of the big focal points, and th this being focused around a Batman I'm ex or a villain I'm excited for, one of the big focal points for the Batman animated series was that it took villains that were typically campy. A great example is Fr uh, Mr. Freeze, who beforehand was just a guy who used to do ice puns. And they told the deeper human stories behind them. So, yeah, Batman won, but, you know, you almost kind of felt bad about it. Like, Mr. Freeze is just trying to save his wife. Uh, you know, Joker is a, is a deeply flawed man and he's, he's broken and we're, we're watching a man who laughs over shattered glass. Basically he's, he's never fully put together as a, as a complete individual. He's always shattered. Harley Quinn. She's, I mean, unfortunately she's in love with a madman. And when you stare, she's, she's got, I forget what it's called, but it's that, that situation where you stare into the darkness enough to where you embrace it. And that's what's happening to her. And you're just like, She's she's losing herself in him and she's not supposed to like before Joker, she's a doctor and she's a genius and she's so smart and she's losing herself in the darkness. And there's all Batman animated series villains are this way. Riddler, we could go on and on. They're all amazing. So I'm really excited to see a movie about a, a villain I had never seen before. Phantasm is not Mask of the Phantasm. This character is not in the animated series. It's only here in this one movie. So that being said, we're gonna stop now. We're going to go ahead and give it a watch, and then I'm going to come back with my immediate reactions. Fingers crossed, I'm super excited for this. Wow, what a blast from the past. Uh, I found myself comparing, of course, this film to the animated series the entire time. Um... <laughs> Uh, the, I'm realizing quickly how hard this is to do by myself because I just want to geek out with somebody right now. <laughs> um, it, it's just it was so well done, so many highlights. The the world, the re returning to this Gotham with this Batman, uh, this Alfred, this entire cast in the the team behind the coloring and oh, it's just so fantastic. It was so wonderful to return to this world, and I'm I'm happy I finally sat down to watch this movie. I mean, it's such a blind spot for so long. I was mentioning the ca the casting before, and I, I forgot somebody who, as soon as I started watching, I was like, wait, Andrea's voice, that's very familiar. Uh, that is one, oh, wrong screen here. Uh, that is one Dana Delaney. And you guys are, might remember her as like the main woman from Tombstone, which was one of my favorite movies growing up. So that's why I recognized her from. Wow, she does such a great job. And they do that classic bombshell type animation on them uh, that Bruce Timm uh, kind of adopted for the entire um batman franchise and oh man i'm still a little bit like high from this it was just so good i'm thinking of like so many things uh bruce tim it, it needs so many awards he needs to be in some sort of hall of fame okay so what i did i have my notes as i went through watching the, watching the movie and <laughs> there were times where i was like oh my god i gotta stop watching i gotta stop writing notes i gotta watch this we're gonna go over my notes and we're gonna go and discuss this film a bit by bit so First off, we have that opening credits where we have the Gotham City, and it's so timeless. If I were to best describe it, it's like Chicago in the 70s, or I'm sorry, uh, 40s. That's how I would describe it. It's very gothic. 
it's it's meant to be timeless in a sense where you're not really supposed to like the, the 89 film really nailed this part where you're not supposed to be, be able to nail down exactly when the movie's taking place. Although the buildings do look very 40s or even like late 20s and things are going really great. You know, like, oh, hey, let's keep building beautiful, beautiful scenery. Uh, red skies, which is common in the animated series. If you don't think about it, it's kind of weird. Why are the skies red? I, you know, I, I can't I couldn't think of a reason for that to be the case, except for the fact that they do use so much blues, blacks and grays that the grays, the red skies differentiate it from the ground and all the objects on the floor. That might be the reason. I'm not entirely sure. I'll have to look that up here in a little bit. Uh, but man, I mean, it's just it's so iconic. As soon as you see that, you're like, oh, that's right. They've always used a lot of red skies. Really great. You feel the orchestra when it comes in, especially for a fight scene. The first fight scene, oh, the, the horns are swinging and, and the drums are pounding hard and you just feel it penetrate. And it's just like, yes, oh, this this beautiful music. It's always so good. Um, they actually talked about in the documentary how they they had a fight for that orchestra. It's so much more expensive, obviously, to do that, that, kind, of, that kind of music and have a full uh, band there or anything like that. They really had a fight for it. It's so appreciated when you watch it again and you you realize that that was the soundtrack to your childhood. All right. It's just so wonderful. They did such an excellent job. Let's go ahead and get into the next thing here. Um, the Phantasm, he provokes horror film uh, imagery. So the shots of the Phantasm, especially in the beginning, are all from a lower camera angle, making making the Phantasm character look looming or bigger than the um, uh, object of their pursuit. Speaking of pursuing, they always feel unstoppable. That's a classic for horror films. Uh, you think Michael from Hollow, uh, from uh, Halloween movies or uh, any of the slasher films. Uh, Terminator is very well known for this. The unstoppable feeling, like even their movement is slow but steady. They don't actually drop pace unless it's to break through something and almost break through something effortlessly. That that nonstop pacing is is meant to invoke horror and phantasm being ghost like makes so much sense that they would make sure to, to invoke that. Um, just really, really well done. Uh, w when we see Batman's costume, they use a classic comic book animation where his costume is in black, but the primary color you're seeing really is the blue because they use blue to highlight when the costume is black. Uh, it's you, you don't catch it because your brain is wired to it right away, but... It is something that I think, as a fun fact, uh, Spider-Man's costume, we all know it as blue and red today, it's actually supposed to be black and red. The reason it's identified as blue and red is because they used blue to, to highlight the black in his costume. And it became just adopted. Like, oh yeah, it's just blue now. But originally it was black. And the Tom Holland one is paying uh, tribute to that by going to uh, the black and red. You'll notice in a lot of the Tom Holland ones. The effort in shots in this show, in this film, and the background and all these things like that. The camera, the, like the way the camera shots are done, there's one in particular where they're over a dance or whatever, and they do like the spinning from atop the ceiling. I mean, that's just not done in animation anymore. That's so unique and so it's just such a forgotten art because this is a, this is cell animation. There's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of 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 images drawn per per film per 20 minute episode. Now this one's an hour and a half. Uh, the detail and stuff like that, that's just not even thought about anymore. There's truly directing going on in this. The overall directors, by the way, Eric uh, Radomsky and Bruce Tim, 
Bruce especially. This is this, this is their baby, and you're seeing their influences come right through. And again, I've named off all the sequence directors because they deserve their their day in the sun. Excellent, excellent work. Uh, one thing this this movie does a good job about is highlighting Bruce because um, he doesn't in the animated series they don't show much of Bruce. He's not treated as a main character very often. Uh, matter of fact, that's one of the reasons Kevin Conroy signed onto the project. He was saying in the documentary that I was watching, the reason he he wanted to go for this is because somebody brought it up to him that the key thing with Batman is that Bruce Wayne is the mask and Batman is who he is. Kevin Conroy just, boom, loved that. That's who I'm playing then. And that's why he took this role. And this film really plays with that. And you see Bruce Wayne have to step forward more than he ever has. Next page of the notes, guys. You hear that ruffling paper? That means we're old school. The twist in this film, unfortunately, was spoiled uh, due to action figures, of course. <laughs> that You start looking at Funko Pops, you fall in that hole pretty quick. Um, the twist in this film, and we'll just do spoilers now, it's, it's Andrea, who is the Phantasm. That, that cannot be done nowadays. The, the, the nuance, it's not enough nuance. It's a little too obvious. She's the new person in town. There's a new monster, a new you know, character killing people. One on one, it's her. I think I think an early '90s audience would have seen that and been like, "Oh, who could it be? Could it be this guy? Could it be that guy?" I mean, we're 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 being pitched that it might be Arthur or somebody like that, and then maybe later on Joker, which is a fun little fun little twist there. But I think today's audience is either too familiar with that trope or just wiser audience. They they wouldn't have fallen for that anymore. Uh, but it was it was fun to watch it and play along with it. It is very noir. Uh, I mentioned later on that. As you're watching, if you're familiar with the noir noir genre and how they do sequences and, and act structures, I mean, you could call all the shots in this thing. Oh, right here, we should be getting a twist. This is the all is lost moment. This is the twist. This is the secondary twist. You can call them, and it's and it's nice to have a classic noir like that. And it's very it's very early '90s in that way. Uh, matter of fact, to give an example, of the fact that they wouldn't have done this nuance anymore. The Batman Hush storyline was recently adapted into one of their animated films. Very good. But the Hush story is very similar to this one in the fact that it has a new friend in town that is surprisingly the bad guy, yada, yada, yada. Uh, spoilers, spoilers for that, too. Um, when they went to, and that's in the, the comic book version, when they went to do the animated version, the movie version, they played it straight. And, and the whole thing is leading you to think that it's Riddler that's the main bad guy. And surprise, it's not Riddler, it's his doctor friend. But in the um, movie, they went with it being Riddler. And I was upset because I was like, wait, you guys didn't do the twist. <laughs> this is just a lame story then. Why do you, do? you know, it was very, very frustrating. Normally they don't miss, but they missed on that one. And it, and it shows that it was like, yeah, we're not even going to do the nuance on this. It might be too obvious. I think that was it. And they got me. I mean, I was surprised by the non-twist. And uh, that might be something that they're doing here. Watching the animation, it reminds me of, of, of something that Bruce had said in an interview. Bruce Tim, uh, that, that he wanted to make sure to animate with as little lines as possible. And of course, we talked about this earlier before I started watching it with a muscle structure and stuff like that. And in all characters, you notice that that it's closer to Looney Tunes than it is to like, say, X-Men, which was being done at the same time as this. Speaking of it reminding me of Looney Tunes, this team, the animation team that did this actually did Tiny Tunes before this. I don't know if you guys remember Tiny Tunes, but it was real big back in the day and uh, was a Steven Spielberg project. That was basically a school for the Looney Tunes kids. And anyways, same team. So there was a lot of similarities there in the animation. When we look at the colors used, it's grays, blacks, blues. 
Yellow and red is often the accent colors. Purple sometimes when we get the Joker. But really, you're leaning a lot on the blacks and blues and, and grays. And shading in this, I mean, it is a class on shading, guys. Uh, boy, it, it, it truly is. If I were to teach a class on how to shade or what shading can mean, that's more important. What shading can mean, it's this right here. Uh, you see characters expose their face through shadow or not even fully expose, expose their face, but their silhouette is doing all the work. Shadow in this and then breaking through shadow with light to, to show identity or to show importance or, or even expressing emotion through the lack of identity and the lack of light. When we see a figure running in a, in a graveyard and they're slumped over, we know that they're sad or, or whatever. But then when we see them shocked and we see just the little bit of their face poke through the shadow, we know that they're being brought into attention and we are being brought into attention of them. And, ah, oh, man, wonderful job. <laughs> you forget how good this show is in the movie, by extension, until you see it again, and I'm a little bit blown away. Man, I've just, how did I not, I, I think I actually tried to draw this back in the day, like I was just so taken away by, by Batman and Superman, that um, I think I did this, and amazing to think that Batman, or that Superman is done by the same team, because total opposites, the daylight all the time versus nighttime all the time is great. Uh, okay, so uh, we also have one of the biggest identity mistakes I've ever seen Batman do, where he was simply standing by the Wayne. <laughs> he was standing by uh, the Wayne tombstone as Batman. Like, don't do that, bro. <laughs> you are Batman. Don't make that mistake. It's your one linkage to. Oh fuck, the themes in this <laughs> that just dawned on me a second too. Like I know there's another one coming up, but that one just dawned on me. His relationship to his parents is the link that's holding him back into humanity, aka being Bruce. And so standing next to it is just, just begging for it. But now I'm, I'm understanding that he still needs that to be there because otherwise he'll lose himself, much like the Phantasm, which is the whole point of this whole movie, is the fact that you can lose yourself into your mask. Um, yeah, uh, one little tidbit that I was just really fascinated by is the fact that, well, I just enjoyed it. <laughs> when they were in the car of the future, they saw the car of the future at that fair. Bruce was amazed by it. Clearly, it's got that sleek design that we later saw on seeing the Batmobile. One of my favorite Batmobiles. Really cool. Most of, if you guys are familiar with Batman in general, most Batman comics, Batman TV shows, and movies are done at night. Christopher Nolan, <laughs> for example, here's a little fun one for you guys when you're watching this. Christopher Nolan's movies, whenever Batman is fighting, it's at night. And then whenever it's just like Bruce Wayne doing stuff, or maybe it's like Batman doing research, stuff like that, it'll be during the day. Uh, one of the most famous faux pas or mistakes, or whatever you want to call it, is in the third Batman Christopher Nolan movie. Bane robs the stock market, goes into a tunnel, like a freeway tunnel, comes out of it moments later, and it goes from daylight when he's going in to nighttime when he's going out. Why? Because here comes the Batmobile. You can't have that thing romping around in the middle of the day. Has to be at night when things are awesome. Is it a mistake? Yes. Was I cheering at the screen when I first saw it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where you know, I'm getting fooled and that's okay because I'm excited and I'm happy. And obviously I get excited by Batman stuff because I'm right here and I'm freaking out how good this was. So um, there you go. You know, it's just one of those things. The flashbacks though, when he's dealing with, when he's talking to Andre and the flashbacks and he, it's about Bruce falling in love, a lot of those scenes are done during the day. And as we start to see the relationship develop, we'll say that, we'll go, go to progress. 
uh, we see that it becomes dusk all the time until finally the conclusion, and it's in the cave. Lighting in this movie is so important. Very well done. One of my favorite things about this movie, might be my favorite part about this movie, a aspect of Batman I have never seen before in any movie, comic book, and there might be in comic books, I just haven't seen it, uh, or any other series, is Batman trying to explain to his parents at their grave that he needs their permission to be happy with Andrea. The reason he is Batman is to avenge his parents. And not just that, to be worthy of surviving. And so when he's asking for their permission to experience life, he's asking to hurt just a little less. And he says something along that. He's asking to hurt just a little less so that he can let her in. And it's crushing him. We're starting to see the Batman and the Bruce Wayne part split apart. And this is early when he's not quite Batman yet. He's just going out in the mask or in, I'm sorry, in a ski mask doing Batman-esque things. Uh, I mean, he just saw that fancy car. <laughs> um, so we're, we're starting to see the soul be peeled apart in two different places. And he's asking his parents to just let him progress. Oh, man. And it's heartbreaking. Of course, Andrea interrupts him and says, oh, maybe they're okay with you, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't see the full picture yet, but we do. That linkage to his parents is so important. And we, we oftentimes, and myself included, are always thinking, we're tired of seeing the shot in the alley scene. We've seen it a hundred times. But it is important to remember that it is all that Batman thinks about. And if he didn't have that, we would have a villain, not a hero. Character, there's a reason... You know, it's hard because people ask you, what's your favorite superhero? I'll usually say Flash because, you know, Flash is awesome. And it's sometimes just kind of hard to, to admit that Batman's your favorite hero because you don't want to sound basic. You know what I'm saying? Um, but damn, it, it's okay to love Batman. He is a great superhero. And he's just so well done. And we're so lucky that they keep finding new ways to tell his story. Um, man, that is a good one. Hmm. Okay, so a little uh, fun observation like we did with earlier with that bat car. His supercomputer is adorable. <laughs> it just has names on it. And I'm just like, bro, that's this is this is filmed. I think Windows 3.0 is out right now. And when this thing is being filmed, maybe not even that. So this is like a real fancy DOS. <laughs> somebody somebody fired up that old Apple computer, guys. He's got the Oregon Trail he's playing in between <laughs> crimes. Oh, uh, it's just funny to think of like, Batman with a, with an iPhone <laughs> would, would be crushing this, uh, but it's so great. Um, okay, so we have that scene where, again, dusk, things are getting dark. Uh, Batman finds out, he finds his cave, you know, after after the, their conversation from before and he's exploring it. Then he, he finds out that Andrea is breaking up with him and he's crushed and he's crying. And then they decided to focus on a shot of his parents' portrait. And it's the portrait that's, that we've seen a few times already. It's over the fireplace, which is a, is a scene we've seen a few times in, its, in itself. And they linger on it for a bit. So let's think about that. Why are they lingering on it? Does future... Ba and we, at, by the way, after that lingering shot, we see Batman suit up in full Batman suit. So I believe that they're telling us that Batman's psyche is saying it's okay. Or no, not that it's okay. Saying that you have to be Batman. Or saying you don't have our permission yet to be to be happy, to be forgiven. And I think that's why Catwoman later on works so well for him, 
because she dances that line as well. Hmm. I this show we're gonna fine tune how I'm doing this show. <laughs> I don't know if there's gonna be as much revelations mid recording as I'm having right now. <laughs> but yeah, we might have to we might have to tune this so I can think this through before I start talking. But man, I'm I'm enjoying it myself. So I hope you guys are discovering new things with me. Okay. Here we go. Now we're kicking things up a notch. Let's get the next sequence going in place, right? We have uh uh what was his name? Salvatore pull up and he, you know, of course, all these people are getting hunted down um by uh by the phantasm. And he says the line, it's so perfect. He says, Maybe there's another way, and then a bunch of robots blow up. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to find a way to introduce the Joker, you just nailed it. And here he comes. We're talking Mark Hamill's Joker walks into scene. And he's just such a badass. His color palette stands out from the normal background expected in a in the Batman animated series so much. It shows how much he's juxtaposed, not to just Batman, but the world itself. He doesn't belong in Gotham. He's opposite colors of it. But he's still drawn the same way as everybody else, which means, you know, he's from there, but he doesn't belong there. And it's just, it's so wonderful. And of course, the whole thing where he's living in the the future of Gotham Park that's dilapidated now and stuff like that. It's like it has so many hopes. Gotham has so many hopes. And it's almost as if Joker, amongst others, but Joker was definitely the reason why it's dilapidated now. Gotham as well. They're there to stop it. So, I mean, it's great that he's living there. Um, we also had a part where they're discussing, and I like the idea where, where Salvatore's like, can you just kill Batman already and stuff like that. I'll pay you whatever. And Joker is not on board. This is one of my favorite aspects of Joker. We've seen it many times in the past. Joker doesn't want to kill Batman. He would be bored without Batman. Batman is the reason to live for him. So he's not on board. And he, of course, later on kills with Salvatore. Uh, later on, when we find out that Phantasm is in Salvatore's apartment, we see the Joker was actually expecting Batman, but notices um, the Phantasm and could have blown him up right there and then him or up right there and then but decides not to or he he gives a speech and then blows him up now that could be just villainitis they got to give their monologue i like to think that he he too wants to see what happens here and decides to wait a little bit and does the explosion after he sees that she's booking it could be a bit of a batman thing wanting wanting phantasm to live as well intrigues intrigues him maybe i don't know there's something there maybe during the many fights and action scenes that we see in this, uh, in this one that's up, we also see one of the classic moves done in the animated series. And at this point, at the point in this we're at right now in the story, uh, it happened three times so far. I'm going to explain it, and hopefully it just rings a bell to you guys. Something happens that's anti-Batman. Uh, somebody makes a move, or he learns something that's not in his goals, or not something he's up with, or he, maybe he's cornered or whatever. They do this thing where they zoom in on or they just cut to a close up of Batman's face, very close. And you just see the, the because this film or this show has just the whites cut out for Batman's eyes. You don't actually see his eyes at all. And they just they narrow. And then he does something amazing. And every time I see that, when I, I noticed it in the movie, and it's something that of course is like, well, that's stained into me as at, from, at, from being a child, I know like, oh. It's Batman time. <laughs> We're about to Batman all over the place, man. Oh, snap. Uh, it's just so, it's so great. Um, yeah, so it's just really good. And then we go into, you know, the classic noir things. And, and as, as Colin in here at this point where I was saying, 
film is following the classic noir acts and sequences. You can plan every reveal. And then literally as I'm finishing writing up, we had the Joker twist, finding out that Joker was one before he was Joker, was one of the people that was with uh, Andrea's father. So he's on the list. We later see when Joker uh, is about to bomb Phantasm's apartment. He says the line here, there's no use jumping out the window this time. Batman's in the room and then he jumps out. Uh, but that tells you something. That tells you that Joker figured out who Phantasm is before Batman did. Is Joker a better detective? Does he has, is it just because he has the inside knowledge? I don't know. It's out there, right? I like to think that it proves Joker's not dumb. He is one of the smartest people in Gotham. Maybe not as smart as Batman, right? He gets caught. He almost wants to be caught, though. <laughs> it makes you question, how smart is Joker? And, and there's proof in the pudding right there. He figured out before Batman who the Phantasm is. While they're fighting, I came to my, this is the final fight scene. We're, we're seeing this fight scene now in the uh, future of Gotham Park. And uh, a lot of it's done, this big fight scene between Joker and Batman. Of course, we all want to see this, right? It's a Batman film. We have Joker involved. And I noticed two things. First, this film could have been done, could have been done without Joker. I thought they brought him in mostly because he's Joker. You have Mark Hamill. I mean, why not do it? And of course, I'm happy with that too. I love Joker. I want to see him more often. But really, we could have written him out of this pretty easily. He wasn't needed. And then here's a stretch, guys. I think we could have written out Batman too. I think if you kept Joker in and he'd be the final bad guy, you tell the story through Phantasm, you have a hero's origin story. And then it dawned on me. There's your thesis. That's the whole theme. Phantasm is Batman. Phantasm is Batman. Father died to criminal. Vows revenge. But there's a difference. Phantasm sinks into the role and kills indiscriminately. While Batman tethers himself to his parents still. He is still Bruce Wayne. Well, as much as he likes to think that Bruce Wayne is the mask, he still is Bruce Wayne. And his father and his mother are still in that cemetery. And he still talks to them. That's the theme of this entire movie. Is what if Batman lost the Bruce Wayne part of him? He would be Phantasm. He'd be fully Phantasm. It's season one of Arrow, folks. Man, it's so, so freaking cool. So the fight is very well done. It's in, it's in the future of Gotham Park. We then see that Andrea gets the last laugh <laughs> on Joker. Um, basically saying that it's one way or the other. I'm going to make sure that Joker's done. She's fully, you know, got her mask off and everything like that. We know it's Andrea and everybody does. And I, I found it interesting that Bruce, so when he's fighting with Joker, he's fighting with Joker, right? When Batman confronts Andrea, Andrea this entire time after he realizes who she is, he fights her not as Batman, but he fights her as Bruce and is asking her, hey, can you stop? We have time. We can go back to normal. He never approaches her as Batman, always as Bruce. And there's explosions, uh, statues falling, and, and we're presuming, we, we, we're, we're led to believe both Joker and Andrea die. Of course, that's not going to happen. We know how things work in, in superhero world, but we're, we're meant to believe that they both die. And then Batman at the end, when he's in his cave, 
you know, weeping to himself. That's the idea. But I wonder if Batman could have saved her. I don't know, use one of his many tools, the grappling hook maybe, to pull her away, let Joker get smashed, or save both of them even. But I think it's because he went with Bruce first instead of Batman and tried to plead with her, asking for her to accept forgiveness, to live past this and her father's mistakes and all the men around her that had him dead, killed. But no, he, he, he decided to go with Bruce first and she presumably died by that because she was like, I'm sticking with my guns. She had lost that tie that said to keep her going. She was dead. She was already phantasm. Oh, fuck. That means ghost. <laughs> the revelations, they're coming, guys. Oh, man. All right. And then at the very end, we had Alfred explain everything that I just realized. <laughs> the entire thesis. Saying basically she embraced the mask while you don't fully embrace it. And he sees the locket and we see that she's on a cruise and still alive. And of course, we know Joker's still alive because he's Joker and. And he needs to live forever. <laughs> uh, man, what what a fantastic movie. I'm so glad I finally watched this. And uh, I don't know if in the future that we'll go this deep on movies and what they could mean and the thoughts behind them, because a lot of that is based off the fact that I, I know the series well. So that helps. Right. Um, and of course, it's Batman. So we already know the subject matter very well. We already know the subject of the story very well. So other other films might might be more you know short and condensed version of what we just had here. Let's go ahead and look into our surprise trivia. I got the IMDb up. And let's take a look. All right, our first one here is most of the movie is based off the graphic novels Batman Year One and Batman Year Two. The flashback flashback to Batman's first night of crime fighting, donning the jacket and ski hat, is paralleled to Book One of Year One. The design and concept of Phantasm was derived from the Reaper, the primary villain of Year Two. Now I did not know that. Wow. So I have to read those books now. <laughs> That's what you're telling me. Thanks for that. Um, I did not know that. I didn't even, I, I know of Batman Year One. I don't, I don't really remember much from Batman Year Two. If I don't think I've read it at all. Reaper, we're going to look that up. That is interesting. Okay, okay. All right, so I'm looking into Year Two right now. The Reaper is Judson Capson. Uh, it's a man who looks probably like Batman's old friend, probably. And does look very cool, actually. I could see the Phantasm. Oh, he actually has the same weapon as the Phantasm. Oh, I am so reading the heck out of this. Oh, man. My reading list just got a lot longer. <laughs> when the Joker... Here's another one. When the Joker shoots the robots in the World's Fair, the sound of them winding down is the sound of the Millennium Falcon winding down from Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, which also starred Mark Hamill. Yes. Oh, I love little Easter eggs like that. Oh, so cool. That is neat. Oh, I'm listening to that again. That is so cool. All right. Extra work for Frank, but here it is. You're going to hear it right now. Here's another one. Mark Hamill went to a screening at a local theater during the film's theatrical release with only a few people in attendance. He asked for them to sit with him before the film started. Oh, could you imagine? Could you imagine like, hey, let's go catch this new Batman movie in the middle of the day. Mark Hamill comes in. You're already freaking out. And he's, hey, guys, I'm in this one. Come on, let's all sit together and we'll talk about it. Oh, my God. Is that not a dream? 
Oh, wow. That is so cool. Composer Shirley Walker cited the film's score as a favorite of her own compositions. Shirley Walker, by the way, unsung hero, uh, sadly died in 2006 at 61, way too young, in Reno, which is it's kind of nearby me. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful composer. And she's worked on a lot of like 90s classics. She did the dark, um, I'm sorry, Dick Tracy. You guys remember the old Dick Tracy? Backdraft, True Lies, Dark Man. What a good list of movies right there. And her work was used in a lot of things in the future. So she's still accredited for things that are like the Justice League action uh, TV series and things like that. Her, her work still lives on through DC and stuff like that. And man, she's, she's a legendary composer and, and uh, what a great job she did in here. Next, we have Citizen Kane from 1941, one of my favorite drama films. Served as an, as an influence for the flashback, a story about loss and the passage of time. I could see that, especially with the gothic feel as well. And um, we see Bruce, especially in those times, wearing the classic slacks with a sweater, <laughs> you know, very New England coast lifestyle back in the, the 40s. It makes sense that they would use that as an influence. It definitely, it definitely rung through. The fighting style of Bruce was shown practicing was very close to Taekwondo, despite him calling it Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, yeah. The move Andrea performed on him, however, was from Jiu-Jitsu. And that was, by the way, guys, that, they should never have shown that. I know that it was nice to kind of set up the fact that she's awesome, so that later on it made more sense. But, I mean, it was telling right away that she was the bad guy. <laughs> she was phantasm. But that was pretty cool. She, she was the one actually doing Jiu-Jitsu, while he was closer to Taekwondo. Kenner, oh man, oh, I'm reading this now. These are the guys I can blame. Oh man. Kenner, which we know is a, is a toy producer, uh, which already released the toys for Batman the Animated Series that started in 92, produced several tie-in figures for the film, including Joker and the Phantasm, packaged unmasked, spoiling the pivotal point in the film. That's the one I saw. I saw her without the mask on, and I was like, why would you show that? Oh, those jerks. Kenner, why? That's why you guys are not popular anymore. Go, Mattel. <laughs> oh, you guys ruined it for me. To keep the identity of the Phantasm a secret, Stacy Keach voiced Carl Beaumont and the Phantasm. That's fantastic. Uh, they also made it to made it so that the Phantasm had the same build as Carl Beaumont and Arthur Reeves. So they purposely made it look like that. Now I'm sorry, Carl Beaumont, by the way, is Andrea's father. So they wanted to make sure that the build. Oh yeah, it's this guy or it's this guy. It made it a little easier for you and had the same voice actor for anybody who's. I mean, could you imagine nowadays? We're always looking for casting. It would have it would have uh, thrown off the scent. Pretty neat. All right, last up we'll go here. There's many more on the IMDb. Guys, check them out. IMDb is such a great resource. We use it for all of our podcasts, really, uh, in one way or another. Uh, but here's the last one. Bruce Tim went through approximately 20 different character designs for the Phantasm before creating a version that resembled the Grim Reaper with Azrael's mask, which is oof, that just sounds cool. Just describing that. The large blade on the right hand was not part of Tim's original design and was added later as Alan Burnett with Alan Burnett's assistance. Insistence. Boy, English is tricky. Uh, okay, so there you go. As amazing as Bruce is, he wouldn't have had a weapon on Phantasm. That's not great. Uh, but man, anyways, that's going to be it for this, guys. Please let me know uh, what you guys thought, some feedback. I have the next three films that I plan on doing already kind of slated. But um, again, every, every patron 
gets to choose the next, choose a film, add it to the watch list, and I'll make sure to do it. This was so fun to watch and just revisit such a classic. Man, I hope this was a decent listen because I had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, anyways, we'll go ahead and end it here. And I want to thank you guys so much for being a patron. And you guys are so supportive and we just totally love you guys. Uh, Thank you again. And please go watch Batman uh, Mask of the Phantasm. It's on HBO Max. Totally worth a watch. 155 minutes. Super easy. Uh, Boy, super good. Take it easy, guys. You all have a wonderful week.